everybody to the newest episode of penpodcast.com. I'm your host, Matt Harms, founder of Pen for Hire, where we offer premier ghostwriting and author coaching services. Also the creators of the Pen Podcast, where we sit with authors, writers, writing industry professionals, subject matter experts, and all around interesting people. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by someone who is living a parallel existence in Julian Ryan. How are you today, Julian? I am doing really well. It's a pleasure to be here and connecting with you at long last. That's This is terrific. I, I am thrilled to have you on the show. I didn't quite realize just how much we might have in common, but we're going to let the audience figure that out as we do. First questions I love to ask people, and I'm wondering if the answer is on your book cover. Where are you from or where are you huh. from? I am born in Brooklyn and raised in Queens, and it, it's an interesting borough if you're not from New York, and if you are, you need to explore it, because it, it was a whole lesson in itself growing up there. Born and raised in the Bronx. I went to school there, so we're connected to, we'll talk offline about that. <laughs> there we go. You know, you get your borough haters who are like, one's better than the other. No. Honestly, I think if you grew up in any of the boroughs, you, you learned a lot more than people who didn't. Absolutely. Embrace it. We go to there you go. This is the school of hard knocks. Tell me a little bit about your storytelling. Like, when did you realize you were interested in storytelling? Like, how long have you been writing? Where Where did this journey start for you? It's interesting because I I was an extremely shy kid. So the way I learned about others and communicate was through books and stories. I was always addicted to reading anything I could get my hands on. I have an older brother, a book. You know, I borrow his books and those that curiosity about reading and also asking questions because as shy as I was I taught myself how to ask people questions about what they do so who knew it would turn into a skill that I could use later on so fast forward I would do a lot of interviewing I worked in human resources I started to learn how to coach and what I was pretty good at is sometimes using funny personal stories about how I managed or didn't manage or the things that went wrong to encourage people to come out of their shell and really have a good conversation on our office and tell the truth about what was going on with themselves. But I didn't fully appreciate that as a skill way back when. I thought it was because I had no money for a budget for training. And this was the only thing I could afford to do was have a conversation, invite somebody to sit in my office, share some food. Fast forward, I started to get some feedback later on in life that that was actually one of the more important things I was doing. And as one colleague said, one person I used to support, she said, you showed up, you listened, you paid attention. A lot of times you made us laugh, but while we were laughing, we were learning. And on some days that made all the difference. So that was one of the tipping points that made me appreciate how powerful stories can be because we get to listen to someone, hear them, appreciate them. And once we hear their story, we can't look at them the same way twice. Now that I know you're from the Bronx, I, I'm curious, I want to connect you and it'll be a foundational thing we can use. The second thing that really uh, happened that was very important, I did a lot of coaching and mentoring with, there's a university system in New York called the CUNY system, City University of New York. I used to be very involved with Baruch and I went to a speed dating type coaching situation where there was a zillion students milling around and their mission was to say uh, to people their name, what they were interested in and what their career was. And, aspirate, and get used to shaking hands and mixing it up a bit. 
Well, at the end of this event in the morning, a student came wheeling up to me and said these words. I don't think I'm going to get a job. I don't have a good story to tell. I don't look like anybody else that I see when I go on my job interviews in finance. I don't do the typical things a college student does. I work, I go home, I sleep, and I take care of my family. I don't have time for sports. I don't have time for any clubs. I'm not going to get a job. Now, during that conversation, I gave him coaching about he was totally ready to be hired and he was an excellent candidate. He had all the ingredients because he had resilience and hard work. He had to tell that story. Now, he disappeared into a crowd afterwards after he felt good and shook my hand, had to go to the next cloud. But those words, I don't have a good story to tell, stayed with me. And it ended up shaping how I looked at myself and how I started to look at how important this tool was. And I start to study it. And then it took me even further to doing speeches and talks and workshops. And ultimately that book that's behind me on the screen. I, I love it. And we're definitely going to spend some time on that. But really what's standing out for me is something I didn't even realize until much later in life, like in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. Um, and I've been a people manager. I, I've worked in corporate settings and very few people, at least in my past, really cared about one, getting to know you as a person, mm -hmm. two, telling you too much about them as a person for fear that, you know, you're oversharing or they're going to be able to use it against you somehow. It was just the surface level, like I'm in charge. This is the hierarchy. This is how it works. But there is so much power behind sharing stories and getting to, as you said, never being able to look at that person the same way again. And I was dropped, kicked into so many situations. Oh, I had a plethora of stories to use. And I remember one I used to use in recruiting when I was interviewing somebody. And I would put them in the spot to say, instead of saying, what do you want to get better at? Which was everybody comes rehearsed. I would ask them, where did you fail? And where did you let, what was the lesson that you carried forward? And how does it show up today? So when the person's eyes would bug out, I felt it was only fair that I would share one of my horrible management experiences of choosing something that was wrong and got into trouble and it made a nightmare. So they were saying, I can't believe you're sharing that. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to, and I didn't know the theory of storytelling back then. I was like, well, if I'm going to put you on the spot, I should share. And that is the premise. It's doing less speaking and more talking and sharing. And what it did was opened up trust. So when I placed that person, we had already created a bond. Secondly, even if I didn't place that person, we had established some rapport. So on LinkedIn, they connected me. Some of those people became clients. But it really went to show because all the way up to a, a significant part of my adult life, I was apologizing because I thought when I'm fully grown up and mature, I will only speak in PowerPoint bullet points. I will only be very serious. I won't smile. I will just, you know, be all about facts and figures. And then, like I said, with some very important conversations, I pivoted. And when I did, I started to appreciate myself. And here's the funny thing you probably noticed as you got more immersed in things you love doing. It really helps us connect with others and be grounded and have the patience to listen. Because when we're a little happier and feel appreciated, you know what? We can be more generous too. So I'm into a mission of connecting the dots with people's stories and helping them, not just me coaching them, but showing them how they connect with others.
and really make some changes in their staff and in themselves in the, in the process. It's a beautiful thing. What you just said about the bullet points, I mean, I'm laughing inside because that was one of the, probably the first times I realized I needed to get out of the environment I was in <laughs> because I enjoyed, you know, if we had a customer situation or an associate situation and, and it had to be documented, I would take the time to craft these incredibly detailed stories or backgrounds. So there was no, like, this is what happened. And I would constantly get feedback of, yeah, could you just send that in bullet points? Cause I'm not going to read it. Yes. Yes. Like, you can't do it justice in bullet points. Yes. And that's true. You want to know the context. Listen, I did enough like turnover reports of why people left, but you know what? Stats don't tell the whole story. You got to talk to them and say what was in your head and what didn't work for you and why you're walking out the door. So uh, lots of learning. It takes a little longer, but you know, when we learn it, sometimes it's happening at the right line, right time when we're ready to hear it because we all don't take guidance. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I got a lot of good guidance, but didn't listen. And that's right around the same time. Someone told me like, you need to tell your story because it was the first time after I left and I was starting Pen for Hire. And someone's like, well, how'd you wind up doing this? And I told the story of my childhood and being a writer and being told that's not a real job and, you know, listening to people. And I was like, that's really an interesting story. You, you find that. In, and I was like, well, then I guess I need to lean into that more. Yes. And I love that because I'm, I'm before that was a kitschy term that showed up everywhere. I was addicted to people's backstories. I've always asked them like, how'd you get here? What informed you? I would go way back in interviews to tell me what we were excited about. And even to this day, some people collect shoes and jewelry. I love backstories. <laughs> it works and it, it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. So it's just incredible. We're all connected in some shape or form. And I would imagine, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, actually, I'll rephrase it so I don't, taking that approach versus just a stick to the facts, like in and out, do you, how much more do you feel like those people whose stories you've collected remember and appreciate you going forward versus forgetting you? I am very lucky that over time, people have stayed in my sphere with, let's use LinkedIn, because it's a such a powerful tool. What I've seen is like, because I took the time to pay attention, even when I've circled back to speak on behalf of um, someone I'm connected to on behalf of a coaching client or a student, uh, people are very generous with their time and play it forward because somebody else helped them, they're helping somebody else. And that has blown my mind. And then total strangers, when you're, uh, I've connected on LinkedIn and because I was more transparent, and saying, look, I'm learning, I'm trying to figure things out. Are you open to sh sharing or giving some guidance or are you teaching someplace? I've been really um, amazed at how generous people can be. We all can sometimes, and that's about what I write in my book, we can write our scripts sometimes about, oh, they're not gonna talk to me or they're gonna think I'm less than. And you know what? It's usually us writing the script and if we give it a chance and just push ourselves out of our comfort zone, it helps. But the thing you have to do is you have to practice it every day because sometimes that message doesn't go away. I'm just being honest. There's like stronger we get at certain things. We still have to up the bar and keep practicing, taking our own advice. Absolutely. I'm going to, and maybe this wasn't an issue for you, but I'm going to ask, I know for me, sometimes it was growing up, you know, in the Bronx, Queens, 
have you ever struggled with kind of balancing that desire to tell stories, get stories with the kind of ingrained need to be very direct and very... <laughs> it's a gift. Okay, so there's, there's always a gift. There's the gift and then there's where you have to manage it and put a little shine on what you're saying. So, and it's it's informed my coaching because the more I've gotten comfortable with myself in years, I can pivot. I'm a very good counselor. I have all, I took degree, I paid money, a lot of money for counseling degrees, but you pivot. And sometimes life calls for me to just tell it is like it is. And, but it's what's informing. If you're doing it to make people feel diminished, then that's not a good, if you're doing to say, I see something good, bring it out and step up. We growing in the boroughs, the BBQs and Staten Island, of course, we were taught that it wasn't cool. Like in the book, I talk about, I always aspired when you were real and you made it, you were in Manhattan. You could only be in a certain zip code. And I would apologize. I spent a lot of time trying to quelch my accent and the book uh, came out of a speech I know you didn't ask me that yet, but it's it's timely. <laughs> it fits with the storyline here. I was asked to do a talk uh, years ago, it just came out of nowhere. A guy came to a, a conference I was running for an association. He said, you can be really funny. Like, I think you would be a good speaker. And he introduced me to their organizer for this big conference with senior executives. And I was great. I got invited. I thought I was going to do a little workshop down a hallway someplace. And I had been doing workshops, you know, 100 people, 200 people. I'm good. I had a sense about what I was going to talk. I was going to talk about how we were turned into a heads down, I have to put this in camera, digital, mutated basically, because we don't look up and talk to each other. So I was good. And then I met with a person who's a friend of mine who was also speaking at this conference. And she says, what are you going to talk about? And she had that look at breakfast like, that ain't going to work. And she asked me the most important question of all, do you have any idea how big your audience is and what this event's about? And that's when she told me I was going to be on a big stage, mega screens behind me, 500 people in the audience. And then, like yourself, I had this moment, they're going to hear my queen's accent and see this short little woman saying, what's she doing here? Who's she? She's nobody. And that's that running dialogue became the speech. And that's what connected me to the audience about being authentic, showing up as yourself at some point in your life. And then I was off and running. That was the writing prompt that changed my life. And then I had to test the speech and well, I tested it way before that, but in front of an audience and got executives to look up, which you know is not an easy thing to do and sustain that. And then the book came later. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com created by Pen for Hire. Thanks to technology, authors are now able to reach their readers in new ways. Letting readers know who you really are, why you wrote the book, and that you welcome their questions and comments goes a long way to building a fan base. Outside of social media, podcasts, radio, television, newspaper, and magazine interviews reach millions of people every day. How can you get featured in more of these media channels? Working with a public relations specialist will open more doors than you ever thought possible. 
visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation today. Now back to the interview. I love that you had the self-awareness though of the accent because for me, it was never even a thing. Everyone I knew kind of just spoke like this until I forget where I was. I was in another country. Someone came up to me and they didn't say you're from New York. They said, you're from the Bronx, aren't you? And I was like, oh my God. I think it was in the Dominican Republic. I'm like, are you, how do you? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. My brother, my brother is very smart. He, he won a scholarship to go to a prep school in Massachusetts. So he had a very interesting experience there and got to go away to school. And then he went to Cornell University to hotel school many years ago. And I remembered at his graduation, walking down the it, through the parking lot next to his friend from school and he said you have a queen's accent your eas when you say here an idea you can tell in the r's and it left me <laughs> so self-aware here's this person who is just getting over shyness and i'm like oh my god now i have something else to worry about and it does come out it does come out and i'm like how do you fight this like the best compliment people used to come to me because i'm first generation is like they always thought i was from europe or they thought because i was polite and nice because we get blackballed in new york for thinking we're all going to be rude and not patient for you must be from out of state because you don't act like other new yorkers but that those three letters are the banes of my existence. And then I'm like, the heck with it. I can't fight it anymore. Just have to live with it. I actually get offended now if someone says I don't hear an accent. I'm like, what do you mean you don't hear an accent? <laughs> we have to get together. I'm not too far away from you. It's like, <laughs> no, you're, not, you're definitely not. In an yeah. off hour, it's probably like 25 minutes without traffic. Yes, yes. But isn't it true? That, but here's the gift. And that's the biggest lesson that came out. The thing I had been fighting all my life against became the gift of me and what I could do and how to be comfortable. So it's a lesson because I don't know if you all know about Queens, but there's a zillion nationalities. Like my, I married a Dublin Irishman. And when I met him, he was offended that I didn't spend much time glossing over the fact he had an accent I'm like you don't understand everybody <laughs> has an accent I get excited when I find that people have been living multiple generations here I'm like how'd you pull that off my people are either newly arrived or they just showed up yesterday <laughs> so, so it's like accents and cross-cultural have taught us so much because we have to listen a little harder we have to figure out the nuances and the crazy way we interpret information. So it made us stronger, you know, power to the boroughs. Absolutely. And I mean, talk about storytelling, because if you think about just the melting pot, you know, you, any of the boroughs really are, but Queens, you know, from one zip code to the next, all of these people with these accents and the, and these different national, they all come with stories, right? Yes. Like what made you pick Queens? I mean, that, that would be always a great topic to start any conversation. Yes, I, I'm surprised. Well, see, here's the thing. Queens was the place to leave when you were going, you, you know, your family, when they went up, they would go to Nassau County oh, or they kind of, now people moved in, which was incredible. And now it's, a, all right, immigrants came, but now it's a cool place to come to. And now there's tours coming through. I waited decades for this experience. And I know friends are now bringing people around and saying, this is something awesome to see people rubbing up against each other from everywhere on the planet, every religion and things. Yeah, do we have some challenges? Of course. But at the end of the day, it works. And the, you, I'm known from dating myself, but Christopher Watkins, do you know? 
Yes, the actor. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Well, if people have to Google, you have to put it in the chat. Uh, I caught a YouTube video. He was born in Astoria. He had a different first name, which I'm blanking on right now. He worked in a bakery and he said his acting style was informed. Yes, he studied by the fact that he grew up with immigrants because that stilted style is when you're talking to somebody from another place, you have to listen differently and pause and figure out how you're going to translate a phrase like, is that too much of a slang term or is it too, you know, too many buzzwords or something. And that contributed to some of his style. And I was like, it was like opening the Rosetta Stone when I saw that on YouTube. I was like, and I was buried in an interview. I was watching a lot of his interviews since he's born, you know, like to see if I can carry a quote. And I was like, oh my God, now I understand another fact about why we speak the way we do. It's we're trying to translate in our brain what somebody's saying to us. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Social media isn't about simply posting links to your book multiple times on a day on every platform you can think of. It is a complex process that takes time and strategy, as well as content and purpose. Creating and managing social media campaigns can feel like a full-time job, especially if you don't already love doing it. Don't wait until your book is done to think about how to tell the world about it. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to have to look up that video because I love Christopher. <laughs> I think he's an absolute genius. But I, I, you started touching on it. And I think now is a good time mm. to let you keep going the book. When, mm. when did this come to you? Like, I've got to write this book. The before there was a speech, there was me sitting on the commuter rail into New York when I was leaving at dawn's early light to go to my HR office. And I would people watch, of course. And I noticed that nobody was looking up. Either they were reading the newspaper, they were on their phones or heads down. And when I was on the subway, I was like, nobody's people watching anymore. You know, you could walk by and jump up and down the train and everybody's so focused sometimes on the thing. Yes, you, if you have a great musical act and you're coming through, we will listen. But basically we're tuning people out. And I also noticed when I was working and spending way too much time with lawyers in HR situations that some sim I used to find out some simple things triggered a lot of issues. People weren't taking as much time to listen. And find out the why of how somebody felt and really dig a little bit harder before they jump to conclusions. So that's really where that expression came. But I got to use it about being a heads down, living in a bubble species many, many years. So the book came out of the speech because I thought, oh, when I write the book, I have pictures, I have great slides. It'll take a New York minute to write it. And then I found out after 68 draft saves, that the relationship you have with your audience on the stage, all the things you're able to communicate in a minute or two and drive them forward into how they can communicate, what gets into our way, like when writing emails and jumping to conclusions and what we'll do with help. Because one of the things, my guiding thing at the end is to create a front stoop moment. Sit with somebody on your steps, which is another word for stoop, have a conversation and really pay attention, whether it can be on the screen here or it could be in person and get some chance to listen and learn. So fast forward on the book, 
when I started to write it, I realized how am I going to explain <laughs> what I do and how I got here? So I could have probably used you, Matt, but I went through all these drafts, having conversations with myself yet again about how can I show up? How can I introduce it without being too wordy? And then there's another thing that I'm sure you guide your, your clients to do is I used a piece of advice someone shared with me years ago. He's a, a very powerful consultant and storyteller on the globe. And he said, how do you want to show up to your audience and how do you want to be received? And I think that works just as much on a stage as on the page. And after maybe the 60th draft that wasn't going past the first intro and section, I realized it didn't need to be in a psychological paper. It wasn't being a case book. I turned it into a really fun picture book with fun quotes, some really rememberable things you could do and learn about yourself of what's getting you into trouble or what's not. Or um, And I keep this book on my desk every day because I'm married and I have to take my own guidance and listen to it when we're jumping to conclusions and we get a little hot under the collar. So it really was a book that somebody could use and have some fun because no matter who we are, where we are in the country, who we are on different sides of the table, we all have this in common. We struggle with our way we communicate with others on a daily basis. And some simple things will help us get out of our own way. So that's really what I want. And nobody has time to read a textbook in a PowerPoint when you're in trouble. You need to have visual prompts. It's like Pavlov's dog. You have this picture of a visual in your head about this crazy, angry man yelling at his phone. You're going to remember this when something's happening and say, maybe I need to take a pause. Maybe I need to step back and stop talking. It sounds like the book is not only, I mean, it's not only been great that you got it out of your head, but you're using it every day to help you in your own life. Yes. How yes. have oh. the book translated? You have no idea. <laughs> How has it translated with your audience? Like, it, it, what is it doing for your consulting, your coaching, just having this extra tool at your disposal? I've used it in a few different ways. I quote my book and use sometimes the visuals when I'm doing a workshop on team building and using storytelling. But when I'm doing a workshop, it's less about me. I'm using story to be able to encourage people to start connecting with each other. So when you're a good storyteller and you're using it in implied business settings or organizational settings, the joy is stepping away to start to see people have small and large conversations and share in new way. The book is sometimes I use it as a part of my package to offer the staff to take away and have something in common they can read when they leave and put on their desk or in their cubby or at their home office. So it's a prompt. It's a companion, but it's it's very much part of me. And my intent is to write some more. I, I'm going to be and then do some talks in New York in public about some of the queen stories that happen and shape us. I love that. In fact, we'll, we'll put that on the back burner for when we meet in person over drinks, <laughs> the discussion next, uh, your upcoming works. Yeah. We're almost at time. And I know you mentioned you have some great upcoming events for people. So I'd love for you to take a minute and just let everyone listening or, or tuning in on YouTube to know what you have going on and how they can sign up. 
Yes, I encourage you to, we're going to put this in your own because I can't spit all this out really quickly. Connect with me on LinkedIn. You have my name there. I'm always listening and learning. You'll see a lot of blog posts that I do collaborate with other people. There is a workbook version that's coming out in the fall. That's going to be great. So you can do your reflection pages, but the book is easy peasy. It's a great, you can do it all generations, ages, and have some fun with it. The second thing that I'm working on, I have a collaboration with a friend of mine who is a CEO of Narrative. It's N-A-R-A-T-V. And we are doing a virtual leadership series with storytelling that you can apply to your work in the fall and September. And that's exciting. Again, it's about listening and getting the best out of us so we can connect with others and do our best work every day and make a difference. I love it. Julian, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time out on your birthday of all days. So for everyone <laughs> listening, please, uh, when you do reach out to Julianne about the book or her workshops, wish her a happy belated birthday. Okay, uh, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. This conversation has been great. I'm sure we could have probably gone most of the day, but that's also what New Yorkers do. So we will... We will put links to everything at the bottom of this so people can find your workshop, they can find your book. Looking forward to staying in touch and seeing what you have going on. For everyone listening at home and watching, we always appreciate you supporting our guests by checking out their offerings, buying their book. And as always, mostly appreciate you tuning into the Pen Podcast and keeping us going strong. And we will catch you all on the next episode. Once again, this was Matt Harms and Julianne Ryan. Thank you so much, Julianne. Thank you. And I applaud you for capturing people's voices and helping them get their stories out there. That's a gift and you found your purpose. So congrats and keep it up. Thank you.